Hello, and welcome to the michaelcrane.live podcast. The podcast is about entrepreneurship and tips for staying highly motivated to make a positive change in your life. Keep listening and follow the podcast to stay connected with the community at michaelcrane.live. So get comfy and enjoy today's conversation. And on today's show, I have with me a very special caring lady, Sarah Hawke. She built a business that operated 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. If you could ever imagine going into business and putting your life on hold, this is the podcast for you. Sarah built her business by supporting and caring for people in a children's home. And the young people in the home are survivors. And it's so important to acknowledge this when talking and thinking about these young children. Sarah has told me too often young people in children's homes or who live in the care system are seen as troubled, difficult and not worth spending time or resources on. In reality, the young people are extremely resilient human beings who have needed to cope and manage highly traumatic situations that most people can only dream or read about in the news. Sarah says, as a society, we all need to be better at recognising that these young people have as many skills, talents and individual personalities as anyone else. They are often just not given the opportunity to shine. Thank you for being on the show today to share your story about the kids' home. So let's get into the show. Okay, well, firstly, thank you for the introduction. And it's a real pleasure to be here today and have this conversation. And hopefully we'll, we'll all learn something from it, as well as the people listening. In answer to your question, was it a business or a labour of love? I think when you're running that type of business, it's both in a way because you're running an independent company and um, organisation and a a company, an organisation that has to make a profit, but you're also doing that working and and running a a school and a home for very vulnerable young people. So there is a balance to be struck there because on the one hand, you have to be able to meet your bottom line and make, as I say, make a profit. However, you are working with young people, as you say, who are very have been very traumatised, who have had very difficult lives and need to be in an environment where they feel safe, secure, loved, and really being able to get over and, and deal with what's happened to them in the past. And there's a lot of um, tension about running that type of business because you do get a lot of criticism for 
owning and, and running a, a school and home that makes a profit. And I think we dealt, we had to deal with that tension all the time. There are lots of people out there, and you'll see it in the news and you'll see it online, but how could you run that type of business? How could you, you're seeking to profit all the time from people's misfortune? And that's, of course, you, you have to you have to be able to manage that and deal with that in yourself because, yes, you are running running a business and all the things that that entails. And you also have to have a level of empathy, kindness, respect, understanding that these young people have high needs that you sometimes have to put before anything else that is related to business practice and business policy and procedure. It, it's, it's not an easy business to be in. And I think you have to be very resilient one, to be able to run a business that operates three, six, five days a year, 24 hours a day. It's not like you can shut up, shut up shop at five o'clock, walk away, you know, because you've been selling clothes, for example. And also you have to be prepared to take criticism from people who say, well, you're making a profit from people's vulnerabilities. So it's something you have to be able to deal with right from the start and prepare yourself for all of those aspects that I'm talking about. I would say whatever business you're in, it does, everyone needs to put food on the table at the end of the day. And I think absolutely that's the element that we need to kind of keep in our mind's eye when people are having those sorts and everyone's entitled to have their own opinion on that. Whether it's right or wrong, is for them to choose. I think also, I mean, when we went into this business, we didn't, we, we, we had a lot of financial commitments. We had to fund our business to start with, with a really big loan from our bank. So there were, there was expectations that we would meet targets, that we would pay, make our loan repayments. So of course you had to do all of those. You had to do all of those things and be very clear about all your financials and lots of people in in this world find that a really dirty word that and when I would have it be having to speak to staff stakeholders about the fact that actually you know we are here to make profit and to make sure that we sustain ourselves and are solvent and are able to keep the business going People often did not want to hear it or did not understand that. And that was something that me and my partner, Mick, who you referred to earlier on, we quite often, we would just have to keep that to ourselves and just have to ensure that we were making um, a, making sure that we were meeting our, our bottom line and our meeting. We had very difficult meetings with our accountants and our financial advisors on a regular basis who would be saying to us, you've got to push for profit, you've got to push for profit, you've got to, um, you know, you've got to make more money. And on the, then you have to, you have to balance that with the fact that, well, actually, you know, you're, you're working with, you're working with um, commissioning agencies, such as local authorities who funded the place at the school and home, who are working with really constrained budgets. They only have so much money. They can only give you so much money for placements of young people. You then have to work within their parameters sometimes. Um, and it was it was a real tough 
ride the whole time we were running our business in terms of the financials and, as I say, the morals, the ethics involved in running a home and school. I don't think it's a business for everybody. I know all businesses are tough. I'm not, you know, if you're running a, a, a small business and you're a sole trader or you've just got one member of staff producing widgets, whatever it is, all businesses are tough. I get that. I think this is a particularly tough world to work in and to succeed in. And also there is a lot of criticism for people um, about children's homes generally. Lots of people will say children's homes don't work. Um, they're their environments that have uh, of long historical issues that have gone on in them. And so you were also fighting that battle the whole time because some young people who are vulnerable and have experienced that level of trauma do need uh, a residential environment to be able to start to put themselves back together with the right care, the right attention, the right education. So you're, you, you're in a, a minefield of an environment running that type of business in our experience. And I think that was one of the decisions in the end that we we felt we needed to move on from. And I, I totally uh, get that. And it was a service you were providing. And I love the word sustainability because to be sustainable in that line of work, you need to be making ends meet. But I just want to ask you, what was the plan at the outset and what made you choose this type of business to start in the first place? Actually, it wasn't my personal plan. It was my partner's plan that started this process off for us. He had worked in the um, home and school. He had managed it uh, with the previous owners. They then had been running it for 30 odd years and decided that they wanted to move on and sell. We, he and I had always talked about running our own business and it was something I had an ambition for, but I hadn't really realised that ambition or thought a huge amount about it. It was something I was thinking in the future. He then had the opportunity to be able to purchase the um, organisation and said to me, okay, this is our opportunity together to come on and, you know, start our own business now it's an established business we'll take it on we'll make improvements and developments and I was working in the NHS at the time and he after a lot of conversations a lot of looking at numbers and looking at feasibility studies etc we decided yeah okay let's give this a go we then as I say applied to to the bank because we we had to get a loan and um, I, I came into it that way. So for some time, I was working two jobs. I was working in my NHS job, and I was also starting to take this business on and and run that with, with Mick. And together, in, we we agreed that I would leave my role in the NHS and come into the business full time. So he had the history of it already of being there. I didn't have any history of that at all. So it was a completely new environment for me. And how did that work, working with your partner in the business, growing a business for both of your benefit? I smile. I'm smiling to myself and and to you. It was probably one of the most challenging things about the whole process, working with your partner. I don't... I recommend it and I don't recommend it. I get very frustrated when I hear 
um, people who have worked with their partners in business and it's been a, and they portray it as a completely easy, smooth, compatible ride because I because I don't believe that actually. I don't believe that that people that work with their partners in life and in in business they never argue, never disagree. Um, everything is hunky dory. They you know the business decisions are made and it's it's a wonderful experience. I think it was a struggle for us both. We both wanted to be the boss. We're both very we're big personalities. We're quite determined. He had a particular way that he wanted to run the business. He had a particular way that he wanted to work with with staff. And that quite often wasn't my way. So we would have challenge. We would have very difficult um, conversations. We would struggle sometimes regarding business decisions because he had he's a, he was a he's a risk taker he would want to pursue a direction for the organization that i didn't think was correct i mean i'm being very honest in saying all of these things um but i think it's important that people understand that it it's not an it's not an easy experience to to do that and uh, we would compromise we would uh, we would quite often agree to disagree he took at the, after at the begin at the beginning he had um a much more hands on operational role we with me we agreed after a while that we that wasn't working for us he stepped out of the business and took a an overseeing role as a director and would also come in and and look at things and talk about things, but he wasn't so involved in the hands-on day-to-day work and that worked better for us. And I, I think that what we had, in retrospect, there's lots of things. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And you think about, you, you think about all sorts of things once something's finished, but we should have defined our roles better at the beginning. We should have looked at our skills and experiences better at the beginning and said, right, your role is this. My role is this. I am a details person. I'm an. I'm. I look at the organ. You know, I'm, I'm a much better. Orga- I'm much better organised than he is. He's the. He's the blue sky thinker. He's the person who sees an opportunity and goes for it, and then um, makes it happen, and then expects other people to sort out all the detail underneath it. And I think we should have defined that a lot better from the beginning, because I think it would have. Um, stopped some of our um, challenges and tussles between us that we experienced during the whole time that we ran our business. And I, I, I think it's very difficult sometimes to, you have to put on a united front the whole time. So when people see you and your partner there, and they seeing the senior leaders, the owners of the business, they want to know that you're together, you're very sure of your direction, you're compatible, you're supporting one another. And there were times we would put that front on and then we'd have we'd go away and have the most challenging discussion <laughs> about a situation and how we would deal with it. And then have to go back out, smiles, calm, collected. I'm not sure if I recommend going into business with your life partner. For me, it wasn't, it didn't work as I thought it would. would. And I think that was another factor in us deciding to exit our business, that actually 
we decided that we wanted to um, to remain together and that we we needed to enable for enable in order for us to do that we needed to probably not work together anymore how did things change once you defined your roles in the business it certainly was better because i was clear about what i needed to do on a day-to-day basis he was clear about his role he also was then not present on a day to day and I would come home and we would talk about um, situations that occurred, decisions we needed to make, issues we needed to tackle. That meant that there was a clearer distinction between us. I also think it was clearer for the staff. They understood I was the person that was the, the, the most senior leader, the chief executive, whatever, however you want to define it. I was the person on a day-to-day basis that would be there every day that they would come to, who would be involved in decision-making with them as they needed a response, as they needed an answer to everything. And then Mick would come in for um, bigger, more senior meetings they knew he was around and they and they spoke to him and they and they knew he was accessible to them but it actually just created some space and distance between us and it meant that we were able to get on with the things that we are skilled and knowledgeable about and that distinct i, I again i cannot express the importance of making that distinction really from the start and i think another thing was that was quite Again, in hindsight, he had knowledge and experience of the business already. So he had knowledge and experience of how it had been run before. And although he knew that that needed to change, there were a lot of ingrained paths, a lot of ingrained, um, we've always done it this way in him. So that was something that we needed to change straight away. And we didn't do that soon enough. We because he was the one with the experience, the knowledge, and I didn't have that of the past, I should have quite more quickly, I think, tackled culture, past practices, instead of going in and thinking, well, this is this is so much to do, right, we'll carry on doing it this way. We should have really been clear about we're not doing it that way anymore. That doesn't work. That doesn't work for the business. You mentioned that you took over the, the full day-to-day operations of the business but mm-hmm. specifically what were was your remit in building changing the culture leading the people my remit was really quite wide and uh, I uh, again in in retrospect it was probably too wide but what I I mean I was responsible for all of the um, human resources activity, all of the financial activity, all of the policies and procedures. I also had to take a particular role with regulatory inquirement. But my my sense was that my leadership style is very. Um, I'm I'm a listener. I'm somebody who will challenge and will confront, but I do it in a way that's very even, very um, considered. And I wanted to create a culture in the organisation where people felt valued, respected, where people respected and valued 
themselves, their colleagues and the leadership team around them, and that they knew that they were able to be able to express their ideas and opinions that I might not always agree, we might not always take them forward, but it's very much the open door culture. I was very present, very visible. I was on, on site every day and I wanted... I wanted that. I wanted to be somebody who was very much seen as a leader in a sense of that I was running the organisation. I wasn't remote. There's lots of criticism for people that own this type of business, that they're actually very remote people. They just come in every so often, have a look round, and off they go. And actually the home is and the school is run by the the management teams. And I didn't want that. I wanted from the beginning to be very much hands-on and accessible to people and very much, as I say, a culture of that people felt that they had a place and, and a value and that they, if they worked hard, they would get rewards. I didn't. I, I'm certainly. I, I certainly didn't create a, a culture where people could coast along. There was a lot of expectation from me about people's performance and how they needed to act and behave, and making sure that they were doing the jobs that they'd been employed to do. But I also wanted, on the other side of that, as I say, it was very important to appear to be supportive and present and listening. So how many people were in your leadership when Mick took a uh, more external uh, viewpoint on the business? So there were five people in our leadership team, and that included the head teacher. That You have to have a person, a role of a registered manager to run a children's home. And so that person was in the team. The deputy uh, manager and head of care was in the team, and the therapeutic lead was in the team was in the senior team as well as well as 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 well as myself so you mentioned the culture was very stagnant i think that might yeah, be yeah it was yeah how did you manage the changing culture from what it was to what it was when you sold i think that as soon as i arrived i set out the professional standards that I expected people to follow and I and I injected a professional approach into the way the organisation ran and that meant having an agenda in a meeting for example that meant looking at the way that we we communicated with people creating a whole new branding creating a sense of if you're going to write a letter to somebody this is the way it needs to look for example that might sound very small but it but that they didn't have that to start with it was also about um looking at the reputation of the organization and externally how that looked meeting the the important stakeholders the people that place children with us looking at people that commissioned our services and establish and saying right this is us this is the new leadership team this is the new owners this is how we're going to run the school and home this is how we're going to develop the organization and being much more open about please talk to us 
please tell us what you think about us. Please give us some feedback. Please tell us where you don't think things are okay or that you want to see some change. Parents and carers are a really important part of this this type of work because a lot of the young people will still have contact with their parents or, or a carer. The relationship may be strained, it may be difficult, and you need to be part of helping that to be repaired. But you need to listen to their opinion and their views. Again, you might not always agree with them, but we really, part of the cultural change, which was opening up the organisation to the outside and saying, this is us. Yes, we have the real privilege of supporting your child here. And we want to know that you're part of that with us. And we want to hear from you about how you feel. You want us to care for your child and educate your child. But I think the major thing was about making the organisation just much more professional to operate in, um, when I say the modern time, because it was quite it's quite traditional in the way it worked. It was quite old fashioned. So even things like giving people email accounts was one of the first things we did so they could communicate externally, for example. I'm just thinking what what how else um, we approach that. I think in some ways the first year was a complete blur because it was, you had to get in and get on straight away and you had to just deal with operational aspects before you could even start really tackling the the culture. And I really believe that I'm not one for analogies and sayings and and business speak. It's not really my scene, but I, I really do believe that, that, um, saying about you can only move an oil tanker you know an inch at a time you can only turn it an inch at a time and I used to say that to people at the beginning we cannot do everything straight away and cultural change takes a really long time but I think the the, one of the reasons why that was successful for for the moment we started to the moment we left as I say because we were present because we were accessible, because people could come and talk to us and because we were saying, this is what we expect and this is what I ex-. The moment I walked into the organisation, I was right. this is what I expect. And sometimes I, at the beginning I had, people would say things and I would say that's not acceptable to talk that way. That's not how we speak here. That's not how we act here. And I had people look at me like I was bonkers. And that I was, well, we've always done it that way. We've always said that. Is that not okay? No, it's not. And and so I set myself up at the beginning as, as the leader with the leadership team to be, this is the expectations on us as an organisation, on us as a staff team. And the people that didn't like that, we either moved on, to be honest, or they left of their own accord because there were a lot of people there when I took over the business who'd worked there for a very long time. And that there is a there is a an element of knowledge and skills and experience that you don't, you know, you want to be able to learn from, you want to be able to retain. But there are a lot of people who did not fit what we were creating and what we had set out for. And they didn't like it. They didn't want to be there in that way, in that new organization. And that was okay by them and us. Today's show has been sponsored by www.teameasycrane.co.uk. We help you build your business and grow recurring profits. Thank you so much for listening, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button. How did you delegate the roles and responsibilities to your management team that had been there for a number of years, like you said? 
that had always done it in a particular way. So how did you delegate those appropriate skills, those <clears throat> roles to other colleagues? I I knew what I wanted the management team roles to be and we revised everybody's job descriptions and we were very clear again and, and met with them, talked with them about what the expectations were with them as leaders and managers. So we went through that process to start with and I also brought the leadership team together very quickly. Uh, so we, we started working from the beginning on the changes that we needed to make and then everybody, I wanted to make sure everybody was clear about their responsibilities and the expectations on them. So we met, we'd obviously, we would meet very regularly because I was there all the time. We we would talk all the time. And if there was a problem, we dealt with it immediately. We didn't, I, I never let things fester. I never let things carry on. If there was an issue, it was tackled. We sorted it out. We found the solutions and then we moved on from it. But that also comes with experience and, as I say, being present actually on the premises. And I was very clear, I thought, about my delegation and what I wanted people to do, what what I expected them to, how I expected them to perform and what I expected them to achieve. I'm not so sure in hindsight, again, whether that was clear enough for people uh, I, I had some people who, again, didn't like that, didn't want that leadership style and, and gradually then moved on. Um, and there were times when I didn't delegate effectively enough. I call it the Black Barrow Syndrome. You and I have spoken about that briefly. In the, And I think it is an important thing to, to raise, actually, because it's to the day that I left, I didn't stop buying the biros for everybody to use. I didn't stop ordering the biros. Now, I can be criticised as being a complete micromanager and somebody who couldn't let the, you know, let the small details go. And, and I look at myself and I reflect on myself and I think that's absolutely right. There was an element of that because I was delegating, but I couldn't delegate for somebody to buy the biros, which says something about me and, 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 not, and not them. Um. And that's something that I I really have reflected on, and and not, and, and I won't ever be in that that position again. But often people were so busy; it's such a busy environment running a children's home and school that their priority has to be with the children. It can't be then thinking about oh the stationary cupboard isn't full. You know that as myself was something that <clears throat> excuse me that I needed to I I, I just absorbed into my role I, I took on and making sure that those things work for people and that when they needed to go and get a notebook and a pen there was something there for them so my delegation I don't think was quite right sometimes it was a bit skewed and I should have of course delegated that to a member of the team but I also was very aware of how busy people were and how stretched people were sometimes and I suppose there was an element of my leadership style which was I will support you and I will make sure that you have everything you need to do your job and but it may have been overly supportive it may have been um too much and I should have actually let people and uh be able to do those things for themselves at times I was I was maybe too present and too involved in the day-to-day operational things than I should have been 
So it was it was we we, we were clear about people's roles and responsibilities. And I, as I say, I did delegate, but I would delegate more effectively now. I must commend you on your style of leadership and also your self-awareness and also team awareness. It seems to me that you spent an awful lot of time in the business micromanaging even the black biro moments throughout the week. So my question to you now, Sarah, based on that is, while you're working in the business, who do you think was working on the business? And also, how did you... um, how did you um, manage that process? I think, I don't think that, in again, on reflection, and now that there is time to reflect properly without the pressures of actually running the business, I don't think there was enough time and attention spent on the business. I think that we were so involved day to day with the operational side of of the whole organisation, that we didn't take enough time to stand aside and and take a bird's eye view and say, okay, this is the business, what direction is it going in, what do we need to be doing? Sometimes we were firefighting because, because you're running something that has to operate three, six, five days a year, as we've said, 24 hours a day, if for as this is a, an example, if you had staff who were sick or who couldn't come in because something had happened, an emergency scenario, myself or Mick would quite often have to cover. So you'd have to cover the shift pattern that we had in place. And Mick did a lot of that work. And that meant that obviously if you're putting your time and attention into that, you're not putting your time and attention then into sometimes the bigger picture that you need to look at. And I will say for Mick, he would he would very much be able, he was able to take more time to be able to look at the business and would quite often say to me, we need to look at this aspect because we need to put some time and attention here. If I was too involved, if I'd become too involved in the actual, to so say, day-to-day operational stuff. But we definitely did not give enough time and attention to that aspect because I think if we had done we would have revised our business model quite a long time ago we wouldn't have spent our 12 years working in the way that we actually did with the roles that we had taken because one of the things we should have done right at the beginning again hindsight's a wonderful thing is that I shouldn't have taken the role that I had taken which was too multifaceted there were too many things to to my role. I should have had a business manager in place. I should have then, with Mick, sat at the top of the organisation looking at it, not being in it. And I we should have had that role. We didn't. And, you know, the business worked. It was successful. We achieved. We, we, we sold. We exited. But I think it's a really good question. And I would really, if there was one thing I could, change it would have been spending the time looking on the business and I would advise people to make that time as part of their day-to-day business activity. After 12 years of being in that business what was your best day? 
that you can remember? Oh, that's a question. It's going to follow by what was your worst day? Well, of course, because you can always focus on the worst days very easily, can't you? I think, um, and I'm just taking a moment to, to think about that. I think my my best day, and it happens every year, my best day actually, was when we had the annual end of um, school prize giving and sports day and um, a sort of achievement ceremony for our young people and seeing young people whose education had been so fractured who had who had been so traumatized and to say been, been very damaged by their upbringings and experiences be able to be recognized and celebrated for their achievements in their education and to be able to receive a certificate and a prize and acknowledgement of what they had done and every young person got got um, was nominated for prizes and awards and achievements. And sometimes they couldn't sit in those ceremonies and, and that we made them very informal. They were not like a traditional prize giving at a, at a, um, a comprehensive school, for example. Um, they couldn't sit in those ceremonies and they might stand at the door and, and, and you might just have to talk to them from the door. They might be outside, but they were wonderful, wonderful um moments of knowing that that your hard work your your dedication your staff had really enabled those children to to achieve to to get to have confidence and to also have knowledge and life skills for when they left the environment of the home and school and I every year I cried at those events every year I'd be dabbing my eyes because I when some person who you who had been written off in previous education written off by um society I suppose suddenly is there and can do maths it that was amazing Mick that was I'd say they were my best days and that is why you did it yeah Absolutely, because you that type of business makes an impact on on the people that you work with. You have a responsibility, you are a corporate parent. However, you need to be an empathetic, loving corporate parent to run that type of business because you are affecting young people's lives. And quite often you won't know that. They will leave, they may never contact you again, they you may never know what they're doing, how they're doing, because that's their choice. They can go off and, and 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 not need to speak to you again. And obviously there's a professional relationship there. You're not their friends. Um, but quite often you would get contact from young people who had been in your care or in your education saying, thank you, that was just amazing. And you, your love, care, attention has supported me to achieve this. And that's... You don't know, as I say, how responsible you are and how important that life experience is for them when you when you run that type of um, organisation, business, whatever you want to call it. It was, it, it is, it is really significant what you set up there to enable them to achieve, and that makes me almost a bit, you know, I can feel myself getting a bit emotional about that now, actually. 
So what was your most challenging day? <laughs> How long have you got for that? Uh, I think what I've said already, and I won't dwell on this, but actually running something that never shut its doors, constantly having to ensure that you had the right staff numbers in place to safeguard young people, because obviously that's the most important aspect of, of, of running a home and a school. So you might, you could spending time looking at rotors. That wasn't my job. I did delegate that effectively. Um, making sure you had the right amount of staff to to run each shift. That was challenging day on day on day because quite often somebody might be unwell. And also to to operate that during the COVID era of the last year was particularly challenging. Um, I also think working the amount of scrutiny that you're under running that type of organisation, rightfully to be scrutinised by external agencies, regulatory bodies such as Ofsted, is absolutely, you have to be regulated, you have to be scrutinised in terms of the care and support that you're giving to young people to make sure that they are being effectively safeguarded, but it is relentless and it is tough and it is challenging and if it really does test your personal resilience. And I think we had a very challenging Ofsted inspection one day and we were always a supporter of Ofsted. We we always wanted to work in partnership with them. I, I insisted that the team didn't sit there and get run Ofsted down and be completely negative about them because it was so important to have a positive relationship with them. We had a really challenging inspection. It affected us in terms of our ratings afterwards and it affected our morale and our mental health and our ability to get up the next day and deal with the inspection process and what had happened. And that took a long time to be able to deal with and we went through a complaints process that's a whole nother it's probably a whole nother podcast in fact dealing with regulatory bodies but um that was probably one of the most um challenging days and i don't know mick if it's okay and to to talk about this and maybe we might you might want to edit this out but the bit i did say about you know i did experience my father's death and while i was running the business and that was really challenging for me because i there was a very, my dad died in a very um, shocking and uh, quick way after a diagnosis. And I had to pick myself up from that and just get back into work. I'm not alone in that. I know hundreds of people have to do that. But that was a very challenging period of time for me. There was no time to grieve. There was no time to think about something significant that had happened to me because the business needed me staff needed me I needed to go in and process staff wages for example I couldn't sit at home when was the time you decided to sell the lot you've had enough and when you say that more than once when is enough <laughs> enough Probably that's the time yeah so I, th- I think I think that's I think that's very true I think when is enough enough and I think we had a couple of years ago we had we'd gone through quite a lot of challenging experiences in in the business um, for for a number of reasons, and I think Mick and I started then saying about about two years ago, saying I think we're we've got to start thinking about our exit. This is actually very um, 
stressful to to be carrying on in in, in running this way. The demands it was making on us, to making on us personally and professionally, um, the fact that we were not being able to see our families and friends. It, it, there was a number of reasons, and also, as as I said, it needed. We were starting to become more aware that we had grown the business to such an extent. We'd grown the school, grown the home, extended the staff team, introduced a whole new therapy service, and we were becoming more and more aware that actually it needed a bigger organisation to come in and take it over, and not just be a standalone. I don't like using the term family run, but it, um, I suppose it, that's how lots of people saw it. It needed a bigger organisation with bigger infrastructure, bigger resources to take it to the next level. And I think those factors all combined, we, as I say, two years ago, we started talking about it. And then we were, yeah, we, we, we now, we need we need to be able to do this and we need to be able to start an exit process, which we needed to carefully plan. And how did you go about the sale of the business? So we knew that we we made the decision that we wanted to be able to sell. We then started to consider how that would work. So the who, what, why, how. We then we, we spoke to our financial advisors and our accountants who we'd always been incredibly close to and they'd been very supportive of us talked about the fact we needed to put together a strategy to sell we we realized pretty soon on that we didn't we couldn't do that alone and that we actually needed to work with um uh, some experts who had sold business previously we we didn't have the capacity we didn't have the knowledge we we didn't yeah we didn't have the time to be able to just be able to sell on our own so we started to meet organizations that help businesses you know sell and we got introduced to an organization by our accountants who they'd worked with before and they were the right fit for us I would say if you are going to to sell and you and you do need and you decide that you're going to work with people to support the the sale they need to be the right fit we met lots of people that we thought we can't work with them. They don't understand us. They don't understand our marketplace. They're not interested there. Of course, you you sell because there has to be financial gain to sell as your main driver. Um, however, you also need people who understand who you are as as sellers and what your needs are. So we, we engaged an organisation and they told us that they were very honest with us. They told us that the process would take probably a year, if not longer. So be prepared for that. And with them, we started to build up the information and the knowledge that we needed to be able to open a selling process. So that's how it started. But it took quite a long time to get to that point in terms of us planning, thinking, understanding what we were going to need to do. When did you uh, decide to tell the team that you were selling and how did you get the goodwill of the people that were ultimately going to stay working day to day in a business you built with them? I think that's an incredibly, that was probably one of the most difficult parts of the whole process. We were, we didn't tell our staff until the sale had gone through and we had had lots of previous conversations 
with the purchasers of the business, with the experts who were working with us about when we should tell our staff. And we were very unsure about when to actually make those announcements. We were also the subject of confidentiality agreements, non-disclosure agreements that we had to sign with the purchasers. We were very um, concerned that as soon as people had any idea that we were starting the sale process or were in the sale process, they would jump ship because they would get nervous, they would be concerned. And part of the goodwill process in terms of selling a business, and we can talk more about what goodwill means to, in terms of, of a sale, was that the people that purchased the business were going to purchase it lock, stock and barrel with the staff team who worked there at the time because they were the knowledge, they were the experienced people, they understood the organisation, the young people, they had the relationships and they. our plan was that they would all be tupid over to the new, new organisation. So we decided we wouldn't tell people until the sale was actually confirmed and that was an extremely stressful situation obviously to be in because you're running a parallel process in one way you've got the sale of your business going on and you've got the day-to-day operational things to be dealing with so that was a real challenge and I think I've talked a lot about testing personal resilience but that definitely tested our personal resilience to be acting and and carrying on in a very calm um and supportive manner all the time having the demands of the sale going on. And we had a really good plan of how we were going to tell our staff. Once the sale had gone through, we were, we had worked this through with the senior leadership team of the new organisation. We had them coming down to the to the school and the home. We'd worked out the, the few days of how they were going to meet and greet people, how, how we were going to tell our staff ourselves. And our plan was to meet with our senior leaders ourselves to Um, at the beginning of the day on the day that the sale happened and it all went to pot and the reason that went to pot was because the day that 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 we we'd got to plan to tell our staff there was the first covid case that came into the home and school and however much we'd been prepared for that and however much we had risk assessments and health and safety strategies and all everything you would expect we had lived through the pandemic we had kept the school and home free of covid and on that day, when we were due to tell all of our staff, the first case was the first staff member was diagnosed and people were very stressed by that. And yet we had to proceed. proceed. The business didn't belong to us anymore. We had to tell the staff. And so our plans had to quickly be reshaped and it didn't work as we had wanted it to. And I think talking about stressful days, that was probably, probably one of the most stressful days we've ever experienced there was having on the one hand to deal with COVID on the one hand to tell a senior leadership group, this is the situation for us. We have now sold our business. You are under new ownership. We had a a script. We had everything. We'd worked out conversations and we were emphasising the benefits of working in a new organisation, a much bigger organisation. You're going to be stupid over. Your terms and conditions were going to be the same. And as I say, it was, we quickly had to revise that. And we were prepared also that people were for people's reactions. And we had discussed that in depth about how people, we we thought people were going to react and that there would be a range of reactions. And that was totally the case. What would you have done differently if you did it again? 
in terms of the wholesale or just the communication? The wholesale. The whole wholesale. Again, that's a really good question, and I'm I need to take a moment because I think I would have I would have worked it in that I would have probably got someone in to manage the business on a day-to-day process while myself and Mick focused on the sale. Doing the both, selling and all the detail that, that, that invo- that's involved in that and running the business was backbreaking and stressful and challenging. So I think I would have got someone in, run the business while we focused on the sale. And then we could have just put our energy and time into that I think I, I was one of the things, I mean, there's lots of sort of key messages about selling a business that I would like to just be able to touch on. We were pretty good. We were, we, well, we weren't pretty good. We were very good in terms of that we had our policies, our procedures, our paperwork, our financials in order. We'd always had that. That was the way we ran our business. So one when we were asked to provide all of that information, it was there ready to go. But the amount of time and effort that takes to get everything together and the multiple times that you are asked to provide information for different people, it's incredible. And I I didn't know that. Obviously, why would I? I'd never sold a business before. So if I had somebody managing on a day to day, I could have focused solely on that. And I think we would have done our communication strategy perhaps differently to the staff. We would have maybe considered whether we could have spoken to senior leaders a bit sooner than we actually did. But until the until your signature is on the paperwork and your solicitor has, has signed that off with the purchaser, you don't know if the sale's going through. It's right up until that moment, it could it could fall apart at any time. You could the purchaser could pull out, something could happen. So you're in that horrible limbo state of not being able to say that you're selling until that actual moment. And in fact, for us, it was two o'clock in the morning when the solicitors finally said, yep, okay, we're happy. And we signed the documents, um, scanned them in and sent them off and went home at three o'clock in the morning, just like exhausted, knowing we were having to go back the next day and tell the staff. So I would have, yeah, I would certainly have somebody doing my role operationally while I focused on the sale. Right. As we wrap up today's podcast, Sarah, you have a master's in business administration and you're a member of the Women on Boards and the Institute of Leadership and Management. What is next for you and how can our listeners find out more from you? Okay, what's next for me is that I'm about to start a a leadership, uh, a senior leadership um, coaching qualification because I would like to be able to support and mentor and guide other business leaders. I think I've got a lot of experience and skills and knowledge from, from my 12 years that I would like to be able to share and also support other people to realize their ambitions. So I'm, I'm starting that very soon. I'm also about I'm looking for non-executive director positions at the moment um, or trustee positions and I'm exploring that through Women on Boards, the organisation which I highly recommend. They're a brilliant organisation to support you to be able to 
work through that and to achieve a, a board position. And it's, I think it's really important to understand that that's so different to working as an um, an executive in an organisation. And I'm also looking at starting another business. And at the moment, I'm just looking at some of the initial stages of that. And I'm not I'm, I'm I'm being a bit coy because I'm I'm probably not wanting to say exactly what that is right now because I'm I'm not sure if I'm going to realize that or not um because but it would it's nothing to do with anything I've done before that's for sure I want to do something a lot more creative and that's not involving all that regulatory scrutiny that I've talked about so I've I really want to be able to use my experience with other people and be able to as I say guide and support them I think that's probably my biggest ambition at the moment and I'm also taking a a, a sabbatical for a for a very short space of time while I work that out and I realize how important that is also I would really recommend that you if you exit your business and you've done it you've achieved it you've succeeded what you've wanted to um to do then I would really recommend taking a short break and in fact the business advisors that we work with to sell the business said to me at the beginning of the process, you need to build a break in after this before you go on and start your next business because you will mentally and physically need to be able to recharge. And at the time I thought, well, that's a lot of rubbish. I'll just carry on straight away doing something else. But they were absolutely right. You need a breathing space. You need a reflection time. You need a time to think, what did I do? How did it work? What did I achieve? You need a bit of a time probably to dwell on things a little and think how you could have done things better but not too much because you did the best you could at the time and you and you walked away in a in a with a successful sale so yeah that's that's where I'm up to at the moment and that's a great place to end our podcast session today thank you so much for your time Sarah and best wishes thank you so much it's been a really interesting conversation thank you for listening to the show If you have a business story to share, please reach out and contact us on michael at michaelcrane.live. To hear more stories from entrepreneurs and business leaders, make sure you hit the subscribe button on iTunes and Spotify so you never miss an episode. We look forward to having you back for our next podcast show. Thank you.